Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. You're welcome along to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact about last week's programme, looking at our Drink Aware series that we were running here right across the station over the course of the previous two weeks, focusing on Ireland's drinking culture. You can still listen back to the podcast on our website at newstalk.com or on the Go Loud app. And as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up on today's programme, we'll be asking, should the Gardaí be allowed to wear body cameras and what impact does it have on our own data privacy? Well, joining me to discuss in studio is the uh, Garda Representative Association uh, rep for the Meath area and also a member of the uh, Uniform Committee, Liam Hennessy. Liam, first of all, my thanks to you for joining us today. Um, you represent the frontline Gardaí in the Meath division, but you're a member of the Uniform Committee. What, what is that? The, the Uniform Committee is a subcommittee at a national level that deals with all matters in relation to uniform, um, IT and equipment. So we are constantly researching and looking for ways to improve our lot, if you like, in relation to uniform and, and equipment. Just to give listeners perhaps a little bit of background into your own professional experience, you're in the Guards how long? I'm in the Guards 25 years. Um, I've spent all of that time in uniform. I started off in Dublin as a young recruit and spent four years there. And then I moved out to Ashburn and County Meath. I spent nine there. And then I moved towards Navan and Slane is where I'm based now. With 25 years experience dealing, I suppose, in frontline policing and with the public, you know, 24 hours a day, Liam, we have a situation in this country, a very unique situation, and I'm sure many would see it as a very positive position to be in, where we have an unarmed police force. What's your view on the idea of the introduction of body cameras from the, the Garda Representative Association's perspective? We would be in favour of it. There's a, to take up on your point in relation to being unarmed, it's, it's, it's a lot of members of the Garda would be proud of that fact, the fact that we have such a good relationship with the public. Um, Body cameras, uh, I suppose, uh, they're they're a product of technology and the way people are today. People are more informed about things, so um, everybody has a mobile phone now. So, Mm. I mean, body cameras, to, to us, are the next step, we believe. Okay. Maybe just give us a, a sort of a um, an insight into some of the reasons why, Liam, you think they might be needed. Like I mentioned there, you're 25 years in the force. To give us an idea as to where you might see them as being beneficial. Well, the, the first instance I'd like to say would be, I, I can recall going to a domestic incident, one where it was a particularly difficult row between um, a couple that were in a house and we were called to the house and at that incident, the, the male was the instigator and the aggressor, if you like, and he displayed behaviour there that was violent and threatening and it, it wasn't particularly nice. Whereas the following day in court, the man presented were, wearing a suit and tie and was extremely well-spoken. And it's very hard, I feel, for the court to get a grasp of what actually happened on the night before. And I think had if I had body camera footage at the time, it would, have been, it would have left the court a lot better informed in relation to what actually happened the night before. It's, it's evidence that I feel is, was, was missed on that occasion. And, and could, it, could it always be submitted in evidence? If the need required, yes. Um, can I make the point, Andrew, about body cameras that um, they're not on all the time? Yeah. In that if, if, and in, in forces around the world where, where they are being used, 
they're used on a, on a, on a need by need basis in that if you go to an incident you feel your instinct is that you should put this on you can switch it on for the period of time that you're mm-hmm. using it and switch it off then afterwards obviously you need to tell people that you, you have done so as well yeah, a couple of different things about that. I suppose for a lot of people that are maybe a little bit apprehensive or anxious about the idea of the body cameras, that's one of the flaws they see with it, is that, you know, something could be taken out of context. Like, for sake of argument, if I'm to hit you and you retaliate now and hit me back, if I only go to turn the camera on as you're going to strike me, the story is recorded not in its entirety. And is that not one of the flaws people see with them? Yes, but it, that can be overcome in that you, prior to, to to an incident, I mean, there, there are protocols in place there where when you switch the camera on, there's a light will appear on the camera. I know this from having spoken to the PSNI who, who are using them at the moment. Um, you would also verbally indicate to the person that this has been recorded. And from from, from there on, um, storage is, is a problem with it mm. as well in that... Um, you can, when you when you finish your shift, you may have maybe six clips that you may have recorded throughout the day, whereas those six clips, if they're not of any evidential value, will only be stored for a short period of time. For example, a month. Whereas if you have a feeling that there may be something further, like a court proceeding or a possible complaint from a member of the public, you would mark that as having been of evidential value. Then that's stored for a much longer period, so that it's accessible to people that may need it, like the courts or GSOC or our own management. Mm-hmm. Interesting as well in, you know, when you look at maybe the sort of the, the big event days, whether it's match days or St. Patrick's days or perhaps maybe even at a protest where you might have an awful lot of other people, civilians in the background, you know, at an event. Just take St. Patrick's Day, for instance. Is it very difficult then to, I mean, how do you ensure that other people's privacy isn't being infringed if they're just happen to be standing in the vicinity of maybe where a row breaks out? I suppose, Andrew, I personally don't feel that people have a need to be afraid of this, given that, I mean, in this day and age, you walk down any street in an urban area and you can expect to be caught on camera numerous times and that we live in an age of CCTV. Everybody, as I said earlier, has a mobile phone with with with, with a camera on it. Um the likelihood is you've been filmed unknowns to yourself anyway in a lot of these big areas where I mean concert with Fragrance like in Slane I can speak of in, in Slane concert where I walk um, the concert organisers would have camera footage there to monitor the crowd to monitor the movement of the crowd and um, access points and for, for for safety purposes too so I don't think the public have, I mean it's it's like everything too if, if, if you're not doing nothing wrong you've nothing to fear you mentioned one particular incident, um, a domestic incident that you recalled two years ago. Are there any other incidents you can cast your mind back to? Um, there was. A, there were, when you're talking about a large crowd of people, as you did, um, I recall one a couple of years ago, and there was a row outside a pub, possibly 20 to 30 people involved in this row, which spilled out from a pub out onto a road and, and took over both sides of the roadway. What ordinarily happens is two guards arrive at a scene like that and then you call for backup, and as backup comes. But I feel that if we had body camera cameras on the night, we would have been in a position where we could film what was going on, and that would be very useful in identifying who was the aggressors and who were the people that really need to be taken from that scene to make the scene safe. Without, it would also 
you're much better informed to go in to when you're trying to break up a row like that. If you're better informed, the risk of injury, injuries to Gardaí reduces too, I believe. In general, the Garda Representative Association, as I mentioned, they, they represent the frontline um, Garda that are effectively out in the beat ac- across the country when people see guards in, in uniforms. In a general sense, the GRA have been lobbying for this. Earlier this year, we had the Irish Council of Civil Liberties, um, the ICCL. They came out, they actually reviewed it um, they had an open mind to to the introduction of body cameras, reviewed it and having considered all of the research, they're now against the introduction of, of body cameras. What's the GRA's response to that? All we can do is put arguments forward for for in, that we're receiving from our own members. Our own members want this. Could, could I bring up another um, angle on this, if you like? Mm-hmm. Um, I recall going to an incident, there was an altercation at the door of a nightclub and there was a man and he produced a knife at the scene to door staff. Gardy were called and we had to effect a very violent arrest. Now, the man was disarmed from the knife. He had to be restrained and he was brought to the station. In the subsequent days after he was released in charge and he was brought before the courts and released on bail, he then made a complaint to GSOC. The GSOC investigators came out and they actually secured body cam footage that was worn by the door staff on the night. And it was that footage that gave the investigators a clearer picture of what happened on the night. And it reduced the amount of time that that investigation took place because it was evident that what what the man was stating didn't, uh, wasn't a, a true and accurate event of, or uh, outline of the events. So there's a money-saving aspect to this as well. GSOC investigations can be lengthy and drawn out they're they're hard on guards. They're hard on. They can be hard on money too. So the longer. But in, they, in the, many cases, you know, often GSOC investigations are warranted as well. Without a shadow of a doubt. But what my point is is that if if they have if they're given the best evidence at the earliest opportunity, it can reduce the time these investigations take. If 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 it's a case where it can be disproved, obviously, in the other way, it can it it can. It can go the opposite way too, in that it can possibly prove, prove the guilt of 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 a guard. Mm-hmm. Do you see a difference in the sense that you know we have? I mean, CCTV is outside premises, pubs, nightclubs, restaurants, shops for years. Um, as you mentioned, sometimes security staff are, are wearing um, body cameras. Everybody has a mobile phone. You often hear the guards in investigations appealing for dash cam footage, uh, like. Do you see a difference in in that and and the guards wearing body cameras, or is it is the concern around the fact that, as you mentioned at the start, the body camera that's worn by the guards in the uniform, it isn't recording all day, every day, every moment. It's it's just in a start stop when it's directed to do so. The body camera used by the guards, I feel, would be more structured, given that you you when you're using it, you tell people you're using it. So, I mean. It, there, there would be more structure to it, I mm. feel, in that you're, you're informing the person that you are using it. I mean, if I could bring up one incident as well. I, when I was lucky enough to go on a field trip up to the PSNI um, and I was speaking with guards or officers mm. up there who used the body cam footage and they showed me a particular incident where there was a guy who was arrested on the street. There were four PSNI officers who arrested him and placed him in, in a van. He was brought to the custody area and... You could see him entering the van, and while he was in the van, he was also under camera as well. 
as he exited the van at the custody area, he was met by the prison staff and there was a doctor there as well. And there was blood streaming down his face. And I couldn't believe because I didn't see him being struck by anyone. But and as I watched it live, I, I couldn't see anything. Mm. But then when they rewound the footage, there was a point where he, he was on his knees in the back of the vehicle and he banged his head off the floor of the van, cutting his forehead. And that was the reason why his forehead was cut. He made a complaint shortly afterwards and then the footage was shown and the complaint was dropped. So, I mean, it's it's... It's for everyone's safety too. People do things for, for various different reasons, you know. So you're saying it's it's you're saying it's not just for the the safety of your members of the Gardaí, but the safety of everybody involved in or Correct. or allegedly you know accused of an incident. Yes. Just um, what's the GRA's response to the reaction from the Irish Council of Civil Liberties earlier this year? Just on, I mean, their concern is over that the cameras would be a breach of uh, privacy and trust. But we we have to disagree with it. Obviously, I mean, we wouldn't introduce this in the absence of any legislation or policy document that would address the concerns of the Council for Civil Liberties. Um, we're not in the business of of um, meeting them head on. I mean, we, we would sit down and, and draw up a document that would be fair to both parties, you know, but there's, I, I, I don't see the opposition as being a bar to bringing body cameras in. And just when you look at kind of Worldwide, Liam, as well, with the introduction of cameras to other police forces. I mean, again, I just cited the point earlier about the fact that some some research shows that it doesn't necessarily alter police behaviour. But do you think would it alter the public's behaviour? I suppose it, it it probably would in that, I mean, the majority of the population don't want to do anything wrong. So, I mean, if, if you're aware that you were on camera, it would, I would imagine it would, it would heighten that a little bit in that, you know, Nobody wants to get in trouble, if you like. OK, we'll leave it there for the moment. My thanks to the GRA representative for Meath and also a member of the uh, Uniform Committee, Liam Hennessy. My thanks to you for your time today. Thank you. Between the Lines on Newstalk. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. Today we are asking, should the Gardaí be allowed to wear body cameras and what impact does it have on our data privacy? Well, joining us in studio to discuss is the Executive Director for the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, Liam Herrick. Uh, Liam, my thanks to you for joining us in studio today. Um, we had a lot of discussion around this just within recent weeks. The um, Irish Council for Civil Liberties calling on the government to halt the rollout of the body-worn cameras for Gardaí. First of all, what is the um, the ICCL's position on this? Well, I suppose first to say, I mean, ICCL is an independent human rights organisation that's been campaigning uh, on human rights issues and particularly on policing-related issues since 1976. And we've, I suppose, been a central driver of the wider Garda reform process over that time. We strongly support the Commission of the Future Policing Uh, in terms of its overall proposals for reform. This was one of the recommendations in its report, um, which we initially looked at with quite a bit of attention. We could see where they were coming from in terms of what they were hoping to achieve. They they believed that body-worn cameras could uh, increase efficiency of the police and also increase accountability. However, when we began to look at the available evidence for how these schemes have worked in other jurisdictions... Um, we ultimately came to the conclusion that the case for them isn't actually proven, that the evidence is very contradictory. And on the other hand, that there's a whole body of risks that come with going towards the use of this type of surveillance technology in day-to-day policing. So 
we understand why the Commission of Future Policing found the idea of body worn cameras appealing, but we think actually the case for them isn't made. Okay. Let me just ask you about that. There's kind of two different elements there, Liam. But in particular, that idea of you saying that you think the evidence isn't there when, when you look at how this has been rolled out in other jurisdictions. What do you mean by that? What basis do you have for that? Well, the central argument for body-worn cameras is that they increase police efficiency and that they also make police more accountable and you reduce the use of force by police. And there's a number of arguments that have been made for aspects in which will be enhanced. So, for example, the first one is that um, they've been successful elsewhere. But when we look at the jurisdictions that body-worn cameras have been applied, they're very different to the Irish context. The first is the United States. And the argument in the US for using body-worn cameras was because of the very high uh, level of use of force and particularly use of lethal force by police against minority groups, which is not a phenomenon that we have here. So it was an extreme uh, circumstance that led to the use of this type of technology. We're in a very unique situation in Ireland in that we have an unarmed police force in the main. Absolutely. And I think that that's something that we need to bear in mind when we look at proposals of this type. What is the strength of Irish policing? It is that we have a consensus-based community model of policing where the police are unarmed. That's our great asset. And we need to be very careful in trying to address reforms within the guards that we don't lose the essence of what we have. Similarly, the other jurisdiction where this has been used very widely is the United Kingdom. And the context of the United Kingdom is that it is one of the most extreme examples in the world in the use of surveillance in ordinary policing. Even in the last couple of years, we've seen UK police forces adopt facial recognition cameras. Mm. This is vans driving around public areas, football stadiums, high streets in England, scanning crowds taking facial recognition scans of those faces and matching them against databases. The kind of thing that we also see in China, for example. So I think we just need to be cautious as the starting point. Yes, this technology has been used in the US and in the United Kingdom, but they're very different types of policing context. Okay, so let me just ask you, so is the ICCL in general, Liam, saying it's no to body cameras having looked at the, uh, the fine print now in detail? Our, our starting point is that technology of this type, uh, if you want to make the case for it, because it obviously is an invasion of people's privacy if you're filming them, if you want to make the case for it, and it is certainly possible that you can do so, you need to demonstrate that the benefits are proportionate and outweigh any potential risks in terms of rights and privacy. And when you start to look at the evidence, we don't believe that that case can be made. Okay. Can I ask you though, because we hear time and time again, um, and even on this station, for instance, members of Angarda Siakana and the Garda Representative Association, their trade union for frontline Garda, will highlight and talk about, and you hear, Liam, some of the most horrific stories of guards being called to an incident and an arm been broken or they've um, had their face or their ear bitten or been attacked and punched and they're victims of crime and really violent mm-hmm. assault. And I think a lot of people would think, well, hang on a second, if if the guard had a body camera attached to their front jacket or to their, their helmet or to their, you know, to their hat, they would have recorded all of this incident. It would be there. It would be very difficult to argue with the facts of what's on the CCTV footage in camera. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, first of all, assaults against police are an incredibly serious matter, which we must put all our possible resources into trying to resolve. And they are on the rise. Yes, but the question is, 
is this something that's going to solve it? And this is where we look at evidence. The first study of the effectiveness of body-worn cameras in terms of how it affects crime, protects police, changes police behaviour was in California in uh, 2012. And this was the study which basically led to a lot of police forces using this technology. It was a small sample of 54 police officers working in an area called Rialto in California. And this seemed to suggest that it had a positive effect on how the public behave and how police behave. However... Four years later, one of the researchers involved in that project um, came out and said that he had been involved in 10 other studies looking at body-worn cameras, and he now wanted to change his view. He felt each of the studies actually had different outcomes. Some suggested body-worn cameras had no effect. Some suggested that they even made things worse. And what we've seen over the last short number of years is better research coming out, in particular a study in Washington, D.C. in 2017, which looked at 2,000 police officers, not 54, and found that the effect was negligible. So then subsequently, the College of Policing in the United Kingdom did a study in 2015, also finding a negligible effect. So what we're seeing is that something that had a lot of promise at the start, based on a small piece of research, actually has been debunked subsequently. Now, this isn't just a human rights issue. This is, of course, a public expenditure issue too. Why spend money on an effective, a very expensive piece of technology if it doesn't actually deliver the results that you want? So, yes, we all agree that there's a problem of assaults in police. We all agree that there's a problem sometimes of police assaulting members of the public. We all want to solve those problems. But why spend money on a solution that's incredibly expensive if it doesn't actually deliver? And this is a simple question of actually looking at the facts. And if you're serious about evidence-based policy and evidence-based policing, and the Garda Commissioner certainly is, that's what he's talking about at the moment, then this is something that doesn't seem to do what it claims it's meant to achieve. So how do you think some of this could be changed in order to allow for it? Because there is a general consensus that the idea of certainly a deterrent could be a good thing, particularly in, in the event of maybe a serious assault happening towards a member of Angarda Shiakona and also for the protection of the public as well. You, again, I mean, if you, if, you, if you look in detail about what the camera is meant to achieve, I think this is an example of where we overestimate how technology can provide solutions to complex problems that may need other types of solutions as well. Like One of the arguments here is that this provides a 100% accurate depiction of an event and therefore it's incontrovertible evidence in court, for example. I mean, first of all, it's a point of view camera. So the person who's wearing the camera controls the direction in which the camera is shown, that it may not always capture all of the events. For example, if a police officer provoked somebody, it may not record that, but it may may record what happens subsequently. So there's a context issue. There's a context question. Um, In terms of accountability of police, well, the example in the US has been that certainly in the first couple of years, there were some cases where body-worn cameras were used as evidence against police officers who assaulted or even shot suspects or members of the public. But over recent years, it doesn't seem to be having any positive effect. First of all, because there are much more complex questions about why police officers do or don't get charged or convicted, where they do use lethal force, rather than just simply the question of the evidence. There's inherent bias within the system and so on. And this question... This is in the US case. This is, this is in the US case. And, and then when we, you know, the other argument is that it will de-escalate, that if people see the police officer having a camera on, that it will de-escalate behaviour. Again, the larger studies coming out now say that it doesn't seem to have much. You know, people become, you know, desensitised to the presence of the camera. I think the real 
issue we need to look at then is if the case is not proven and, you know, we're very open to evidence here. Our initial reaction to the Commission of Future Policing was we're very willing to look at this. The Department of Justice asked us to make a submission. We went off with an open mind. This is what we found, you know. If the evidence was contrary, we'd be very open mm. to, to look at it in a different way. Okay, is, is there anything that would, I suppose bring you along in the process, Liam, or what, what do you think could be changed to try and... Is it the idea that there's a concern that the cameras, they're um, maybe perhaps self-starting once the, the start the, this record button, I suppose, might be pushed by a police officer? Is that a concern? Is it a concern around maybe the fact that footage could be edited? Like, I, I think we need to step back and, and actually look at this from the privacy and surveillance perspective as well and look at how we use technologies even more generally, you know. So CCTV is obviously the the, the most um, prominent use of surveillance technology in Irish policing and in Irish society more generally. And when we look at what's happening at the moment, there are a, a, a lot of steps that we still aren't taking in terms of protecting and putting in place appropriate safeguards. We've had very tragic cases in recent years where CCTV footage taken by police cameras has found its way into the public domain with devastating consequences for individuals. So we've really serious problems at the moment about how surveillance technologies and cameras are being used not to do legitimate policing tasks, but actually to invade people's privacy. We're seeing how the footage that's recorded isn't properly protected or controlled. We're seeing it being inappropriately shared. We're seeing examples from Ireland and around the world where state agencies and private actors are coming in and inappropriately using it for nefarious okay. or illegitimate purposes. So how, how do we safeguard against that if we are to look at this level of, you know, to, to looking at the idea of data privacy? Well, we start taking privacy and data protection seriously within Irish policing. There has been, and this is one of the fundamental cultural problems within Irish policing, is a casual and even reckless attitude to data protection and privacy. We see this, for example, in the way the Pulse system has been used over the years. At one of the recent tribunals, a Garda giving evidence referred to the Pulse system as a social network for guards. And there seems to be no cultural or organisational sensitivity that looking at other people's personal information without a proper purpose or use is something that has very serious consequences for individuals. Well, I understand safeguards have been put in from Garda Siakona in terms of the level of access that Gardaí would have to mm. identify through their own identification number or whatever it is and have a reason as to why there may be yeah. my account is accessed or whatever. Yeah, I, I think we have a way to go. I mean, you know, th- this also goes, of course, to the attitude in the organisation to the use of data and information more generally. We still have a situation where the crime statistics provided by Angarda Shikana are uh, given a health warning by the CSO because they don't fully uh, accept the integrity of those statistics. So the recording of crime and the recording of data generally is a problem within Irish policing. In that context, it's even more of an so, argument to be sensitive about okay, how we so move forward. Concern. In terms of the overall direction, Liam, like, ter- like cause, because, you know, and I am conscious that there's probably um, perhaps current and maybe former members of Ngarda Shia that have been in the force that are out of work, having been the victims of assault, maybe listening to this today and thinking that, well, actually, in my particular instance, had I have been wearing a body camera or had CCTV footage have been in the vicinity, you know, the situation or the, or the case might be very different. Um, in terms of the direction of policing, what role do you see technology playing in that now? Or do you see a role for it? Absolutely, of course. Uh, and, and, and I think th- th- there is a tendency 
when we have complex organisational challenges like we have with Irish policing at the moment, there's a very ambitious programme of change there that we think the technology will provide uh, short and fast solutions to bigger problems. And I think we just need to be a little bit cautious about that. I think it's important to be positive and optimistic about where we are with Irish policing and to be careful we don't give away the real assets that we have. The real strengths of Irish policing is we have a community-based unarmed tradition since the foundation of a state for almost 100 years. That's pretty much unique in a European context. And despite the fact that we have problems definitely with management, we have problems with accountability and oversight, we have problems with inadequate training, they are really serious problems which we need to really work at and invest in. But we need to be careful we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater And the vision, actually, of the Commission of Future Policing, which is an exciting and really optimistic vision, is that if we really focus on community policing, on the relationships between the guards and the community, and that means having proper uh, communications between young people, for example, and and the guards, that if if we focus on that, we can actually reach a Mm. really, really good place with Irish policing. Now, if you have police officers going around wearing armour, wearing heavy technology, wearing cameras, that is a barrier to the relationship that we all want to see between our guards and our communities. Yeah, look, I think certainly long-term community policing is absolutely, it's the way to go. What it requires, and Gardaí Síochána will tell you itself, is a commitment to resources and, and funding to do that and, to, and to, to roll that out. On the other side of that, though, we do, um, I, I accept that absolutely we're in a very unique situation with Gardaí Síochána and that they're an unarmed force, but we've never had as many sawn off shotguns, um, pistols, uh, assault rifles being seized as we've had in the past two, three years. We've had a huge rise in gangland crime that is now not contained to Dublin. So the level of crime and the threats to life that are often being, uh, you know, Inter, where there's a level of intervention at is at a higher level now than it was in, in previous years. So the the risk has now increased. Well, let's be specific about risks and solutions If we're talking about the threat posed by the availability of firearms and serious crime in Ireland, which is a real issue and it's a very important policing priority, well, body-worn cameras are not a solution to that. In fact, they are of no benefit in terms of dealing with that challenge. What is is the, the solution to that is effective, focused and highly skilled deployment of the armed response unit. And that is where the Garda Commissioner and the senior management team are really focusing at the moment. And one thing I would say, again, being very positive is here, we have an incredibly good record on the use of high-skilled armed response units mm. in this country. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, is, it is such a great asset that we can try to achieve, and the Commissioner is committed to this, having unarmed police as the norm, but then using armed police yes. tactically where we need to. So this is an example of where surveillance technology in a very focused way, i.e. with warrants against identified suspects, mm-hmm. is a key tool for the guards. Technology is very, very important, and the guards are competing in a race with highly resourced organised crime factions in terms of dealing with serious crime. But this is about focused and proportionate use. So then, again, why would you waste a huge amount of a okay. scarce budget on something that isn't necessary and probably won't deliver the benefits? Liam Herrick, Executive Director of the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. My thanks to you for joining us in studio today. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this issue in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. 
Well, you're welcome back to the final part of News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. Today, we are discussing whether or not Ungar the Shiakona should be allowed to wear body cameras. And we're asking what impact does it have on citizens' data privacy? Well, joining us now to discuss is Associate Professor of Law at Trinity College Dublin, Owen O'Dell. Owen, my thanks to you for joining us today. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. Just first of all... Um, there's a couple of different issues that have been raised by both Liam Hennessy and Liam Herrick in the earlier part of the programme. Um, one of which Liam Herrick mentioned a few moments ago, and I just wanted to maybe first of all get your opinion on this from a legal perspective. Is it a case, Owen, um, that the recording of an individual by body camera or CCTV footage, is that an invasion of one's privacy? It is certainly an infringement of your data protection rights because the information that is being gathered about you is information in electronic form about you and that is um, information that you have data protection rights over. The European Charter distinguishes between the right to privacy and the right to the protection of personal data and it is probably an infringement of your privacy rights but it is certainly potentially an infringement of your data protection rights. Okay, just explain that for me in fairly kind of simple terms, Owen. What's the difference between your... your, data protection rights and your privacy or privacy rights? Well, your privacy rights are bigger in the sense that they they uh, protect your private life and your decisions about your private life in general, whereas your data protection rights are more specific. They are um, about how you control the use by others of your personal data. Um, and uh, European law protects both so that you can make personal decisions about how you conduct your life and that's protected by privacy and you can make decisions about how you control your data and that's protected by data protection. And as it stands at the moment, what are those rights? What are my rights in terms of um, data protection versus privacy in Ireland today? Well, we have a constitutional right to privacy and the General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR, the thing we all heard so much about uh, in the middle of last year, um, is the European document that primarily protects our data protection rights. And that was implemented by legislation last year, the Data Protection Act uh, 2018. And that act introduced not only the General Data Protection Regulation, but also the Law Enforcement Directive. And it is those two pieces of legislation, the GDPR and the Law Enforcement Directive, as implemented by the Data Protection uh, Act of last year that governs um, law enforcement's um, uh, use of personal data. So if the guards are recording, um, say they're recording you and me, then um, that is personal data about us because it's our image, it's our, it's our, it's, it's mm. our sound, it's where we are, it's what we're saying, it's what we're doing. Um, and that is uh, protected primarily by the uh, um, Data Protection Act, which implements the GDPR and the Law Enforcement Directive. So what's the difference then between what what might be recorded in a body camera versus, say, for instance, the Pulse system? Because that's a record of my data or my complaint as well. There is no difference in the sense that they're both governed by, well, they're both governed by lots of uh, legislation. There is legislation um, uh, around uh, the the uh, recording of data by the guards. Um, and for the purposes of the body cams, uh, this debate started because during the summer, the Minister for Justice brought a cabinet proposal for legislation around body cams. Um, and so you need legislation to allow the guards to process that data. Mm. Um, but the processing of that data, whether it's on the pulse system or um, the, the body cams or any other processing of data by by the guards is governed by the Data Protection Act. So the Data Protection Commissioner um, over the years in uh, the 
uh, in their um, annual reports, there's always a big section about the processing of data um, by Angarda Shikana. And where I'm kind of confused on in all of this is that, like, when I walk out on the street today here in the centre of Dublin, or probably anywhere in Ireland, I'm going to be recorded um in, on CCTV and that can be on private CCTV footage maybe outside a pub or a shop or a hotel or wherever you know the um, the council have the recording of footage as well in terms of you know for traffic on the M50 so how does that differ to this? It doesn't it's exactly the same and the Data Protection Commissioner has on her website um, uh, lots of guidance on how to use CCTV for the purposes of compliance with the Data Protection Act. So, for example, if you want a community CCTV scheme, you have to have a data protection impact assessment to, to make sure that the recording isn't going beyond the good reasons that you have for it in the first place, um, that the data is retained for as long as is, poss- as is necessary but no longer, um, that uh, data subjects have their data rights. So, for example, if I am caught on CCTV, I have the right to access that data to ensure that it's accurate um, and relevant uh, to the reason why it's being recorded. And if it isn't accurate or if it isn't relevant to the reason why it's being recorded, I can have it deleted. And that's the point. The There is a whole range of, of protections mm. that we get by virtue of data protection um, when our uh, when our. Uh, data protection rights and our privacy rights are infringed. Um, it's not that you can't do CCTV. It's not that you that the uh, Gardaí can't have body cams. It is that these things have to be done in a manner that complies with the legislation. And it is possible, it is more than possible to do these things in a manner that complies with the data protection legislation. Mm-hmm. But it's necessary to comply with European law, to comply with the GDPR, the Law Enforcement Directive and the Data Protection Act implementing them. So you can have CCTV, um, but you have to have a good reason for it. You can have uh, body cameras, but you have to have a good reason for them. You have to ensure that the procedures that you put in place meet that good reason. They're necessary for that good reason. They're proportionate to that good reason. And that all of the rights the data subjects have, the right of access, the right to correct, the right to erase, um, are respected. And all of the obligations on data processors, the people who have the CCTV cameras, the uh, Garda Shikana who have the body cams, that all of their obligations to protect the individual rights are also met. So it is possible to do it in a manner that is compliant with the uh, the legislation, mm. but that's how you have to do it. You just can't throw the body cameras on. You just can't throw up the CCTV. Yeah, It's interesting because I think, isn't that one of the concerns, um, Owen, and we, we discussed it earlier in, in the programme as well, that, you know, people that are against or that are objecting, for instance, to the introduction of body cameras, two of the concerns they have is about the recording of the footage and the storage of the footage and for how long and where is it going to be stored and who can have access to it and if I'm a guard and I have my pulse number but I give you my pulse number can you then access the footage that I've recorded on my camera and there's a whole like how grey is that area? It's not at all grey. It's perfectly clear what the obligations are. It's also perfectly clear that what you've just described is in breach of all of those obligations. Those are exactly the kinds of things that the Data Protection Commissioner complains about in her annual reports about the uh, implementation of uh, procedures around Pulse. You can do these things in a compliant manner. You can ensure that you have a database which has got um, uh, adequate protection, adequate confidentiality and adequate access controls and all of that. You can ensure that data subjects um, have 
the right to access to correct. You've got you can ensure that the um, the controllers, the uh, the people who are in charge of the data, have the right level of protections and so on. Um, and all of these things okay, are set so out it, in the legislation. Okay, can, but can, if they're breached, you know that that that's we we see this a lot, yeah. and not just with the police, not okay. just not just with state databases, but we see we, we see it with any you know there's there's um, there's breaches, there's deliberate hacks, there's all sorts of other nefarious goings on, uh, and that's what the data protection legislation is there to protect uh, to protect and prevent. I just want to just to go, get you to go back on one point there sure. when you talked about one of the criteria that has to be met is that that the the person that's been filmed or that's been recorded that they have a right to did you say to correct. Yes, well, it's it's unlikely that that's going to be a matter on on uh, CCTV footage, but that's one of the general rights that you have under the data protection legislation okay. to ensure that the information that is recorded about you uh, and stored about you is accurate. So, for example, let's say um, to take the CCTV footage, to take the body cam footage, let's say that it is edited in a manner that um, uh, portrays you in an inaccurate way. Mm. Um, then that means, and if you can demonstrate that it has been edited in a manner that portrays you in an inaccurate way, then you have the right to correct that or you you have the right to have okay, it um, yeah, deleted yeah. because it's inaccurate. So, I mean, from what you're saying, the body cameras can be introduced. It's just a matter of the the data storage and all of the other criteria that, as you mentioned there, that would have to be ticked off? Uh, as a matter of principle, yes, you can do this in a manner that is compliant with the GDPR and with the uh, data protection legislation. Now, it's not easy from the point of view of implementing it from the from the guard's perspective, mm. but it is possible. So there are two big questions. The first question is, is this something that should be done for a policing reason or for a civil liberties reason? And those are the discussions that you've already had. And assuming that you come out on balance that this is something that can be done and there are good reasons for doing it, then data protection legislation requires that you only implement it as much as is necessary for that particular good reason. So it may be that body cameras are useful in a particular kind of policing operation, but not necessarily for the general purpose of um, guards on the beat. It may be that um, they're always they're always on or they're only on at the mm. discretion of a particular officer, but not the guard who is wearing the camera. So there, there are lots of rules about implementing it uh, to, to meet the practical requirements and to meet the data protection requirements. And I think, again, that's one of the concerns that people have is the idea that, you know, you and I are in a studio here with maybe nobody else at the moment. If I strike at you, but when somebody comes in, you're striking back at me just to say that's not happening. But that the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, if I go to record that at a given time, the story is entirely out of context. That's absolutely one of the real practical problems with uh uh, body cameras when the wearer of the camera is the person who makes the mm. decision about when to record and when not to record. So to edit on the fly, as it were, so as to present a partial picture. Um, so the one of the one of the there, there isn't really good international best practice about this. Um, there, there are lots of conflicting pieces of advice, and yeah. that I think is one of the objections that uh, is being raised to body cameras in general. That we just don't know how to do this properly from a policing perspective or from a civil liberties perspective. And likewise, um, we're still not sure how to ensure that you get uh, maximum protection for for data protection. Um, and certainly, there are lots of things that the Data Protection Act would require that the civil liberties uh, that the Council for Civil Liberties would um, suggest are good practice, mm. but which 
which the uh, which the guards would suggest are operationally difficult. When we look at how other countries do it, Owen, for instance, and 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 in some of those cases where it is the the carrier of the camera is the operator of the camera, and they start stop when mm-hmm. it starts to record. What difficulties does that present in terms of um, the admission of that particular material and footage then into evidence in, in a court case? Well, that's not a data protection issue, and in general, um, when it comes to when it comes to recordings, whether they're audio or video recordings, um, the admissibility depends on the reliability of the the equipment and the presence of the person who made the recording to say this is the recording that I made, so that it's not uh, it's not hearsay evidence, it's not evidence um, somebody told me or the electronics are telling me. It is this is the recording that I made. Um, but the the fact that I make the decision to start and top the recording whether it's uh, a body cam whether it's an audio recording or any or CCTV mm. or whatever that doesn't change the basic rules of admissibility okay. and doesn't prevent it from being admissible In summary is it fair to say it's for people listening today it's a consideration of whether or not your the benefits outweigh you know the rights to somebody's privacy? Well, the the benefits are a political consideration, whether the whether the uh, government decides to introduce the legislation and then whether the commissioner decides to make the uh, resources available to implement it. It's a costly exercise. It's a costly exercise. Um, it's, it's a costly exercise so far as resources are concerned. It's a costly exercise so far as training is concerned. Um, but once the decision is made that there are political reasons in favour and the law will accept that there are good reasons then um, the the infringement of rights the second half of your question can only be so much as is necessary for the good reasons so you can't go you can't go beyond that and you have to respect mm. the rights to the extent that you can uh, under the data protection legislation for example and for people that might be concerned that you know if a row or a incident or anything that's been recorded and they might just be an innocent bystander crossing the road or mm-hmm. in the background but CCTV footage records them and identifies them. Like, I know that's a concern for people is that all of a sudden they're just being recorded and they have they could have no idea that they are being filmed. Yeah, well, in, in those circumstances, if you have no good reason to be there, um, if there is no reason why that data should be there about you, then uh, to the extent that you are personally identified in that feed, in the um, data that the uh, guards have relating to it, that can be deleted. Okay. A huge amount to consider there, Owen, um, today. And my thanks to you for your time. We're really interested in people's views on this, but um, a lot to try and digest from all of our guests today. Liam Hennessy, Liam Herrick, and also um, Associate Professor of Law at Trinity College Dublin. Owen O'Dell, my thanks to you all for your time today. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. You can listen back to the podcast on our website at newstalk.com or on the Go Loud app or on iTunes. My thanks to the production team, Simon Keane and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with uh, Between the Lines this time next week. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day.